Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the show that digs deeper to understand what really matters most in business. What really matters most oftentimes is a function of leadership. And today we're going to be talking about leadership with Dean Hallett, who's the president of Hallett Leadership and also the author of The Missing Piece. Dean, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hi, Dave. Good morning. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for joining us uh, at this early hour for you. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Sure. I am, as you said, I'm the president of Hallett Leadership. We do leadership work in terms of executive coaching, workshops, uh, in, intensive programs. But I've only been doing this for a brief period of time. I actually spent 27 years in the entertainment industry, uh, both working for both 20th Century Fox and the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about that background because you've done some pretty impressive stuff and you've, you've held some uh, significant roles with, with titles that are going to resonate in the audience who are thinking perhaps, oh, this guy is just a coach. This guy is not just a coach. This guy has been there uh, and, and done that, so to speak. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about that experience in the entertainment industry? Sure. I started with uh, Walt Disney Company back in 1990, 1991. It was shortly after... Uh, Frank Wells and Michael Eisner uh, were running the company. And it's interesting, my early background was in, in audit. I worked for Ernst, what was Ernst & Winnie at the time, EY now. And I came up through those ranks. And so when I went to the Walt Disney Company, it was a very large company. I wasn't really sure exactly where I was going to be able to contribute. And I came into the internal audit department and my boss thought I was better prepared than one of my peers for a job that came up over at the studio. All the audits I had been working on were in the consumer products area. And suddenly I was a director of finance in motion picture marketing. I grew up in Los Angeles. I had no, uh, right next to Hollywood, no experience in entertainment, never really had expressed an interest in working in the quote unquote entertainment industry. And suddenly I was working with people that were uh, creatives, publicity, promotions, my entire experience up until that point, almost my entire experience had been working uh, almost with just finance people. And so I had to really stretch myself and be a partner of these people and not just be what we call the finance police in order to be effective. So early in my, in my uh, adult life, I was lucky enough to have done a self-awareness training is what it was called back then. Now I would call it an emotional intelligence training. So I tapped into those tools that I had learned about how to show up, how to be effective, how to be the best version of myself in working with other people. And I created great relationships in that department. And because of the success I had there, I worked my way up to the CFO of the Walt Disney Studios. Now, you hear that Disney's the happiest place on earth, at least Disneyland, but it's not necessarily that way inside the company. And ultimately, it wasn't the culture for me. I didn't feel that I could I use the, the cliche expression I just used, show up as the best version of myself in that environment. So I ended up shifting over to 20th Century Fox in 2001, and I worked there for 17 years. I came in as the CFO, and with a little bit of a lack of centralized support, being more an entrepreneurial culture, I had the opportunity to jump in and participate in areas that were less defined. And because I went in there right after 9-11, they had cut the training and development budget to zero. 
and the company really wasn't doing anything at all. And there were really smart people there. They just hadn't been trained in leadership. So I formed an alliance with the HR department and we launched some leadership training for the senior level of the company. And then we actually developed a program, a uh, nine month intensive to develop our future leaders that were sitting on the bench. And uh, it really was a game changer for how people felt about the investment the company was making in them. And the company was able to create this synergy because we were bringing people together from different areas of the company and developing tremendous levels of mutual trust and respect with them. So when I left uh, that company, I decided that I was going to start my own company and really focus on the leadership development side of things. That was where my passion is. Yeah, it's a fascinating background. I'm glad you shared that because it sets the frame for the rest of our conversation. And, and Dean, I just got to tell you, uh, you know, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I, I've met many a folk who are in what I would call your space in that leadership development area. But I don't think I've ever met someone who is a former CFO who has jumped into mm -hmm. that realm. So hats off to you on that re regard, my friend. So let's not keep the audience waiting any longer here. So I mentioned that you're the author of The Missing Piece. And the book is about what's, what you describe as the missing piece, the key piece that's missing in organizations. So why don't you tell us about the book and what that missing piece is, if uh, that's not going to be too much of a spoiler alert. No, not at all. Uh, the book is The Missing Piece, How Successful Companies Develop High-Performance Cultures. And that missing piece that I see in so many companies is that they do not develop leadership at all levels of the organization. Usually people are, you have individual performers that do really well. They move into areas of greater responsibility. Suddenly they have a team working for them and no one has shown them how to do it. And we tend to, as humans, rely on what has worked in the past and made it successful because that's our comfort zone. So what I find is that people continue to be individual performers, even though they're overseeing a team. They're not, they feel maybe threatened by the other performers on the team. They're not developing them and bringing up them to be the, to show up as the best version of themselves. And so, and, and by the way, what happens is as we progress, we are, the perception is that we're supposed to know all the answers. So we don't want to show that we have any flaws. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to show that we have, a, we don't want our vulnerability to be out there. So we're acting like we know all the answers. And that's, you hear so much today about the imposter syndrome. What happens is you get people into a role where they feel like they're supposed to know all the answers. They don't. And rather than admit it and surround themselves with people that can fill in the gaps, they end up acting like they know everything. And they come from a place that I refer to as, I don't know what I don't know. And another way of saying that is, I think I know, but I really don't. And when they leave from that position, they can take people down a path that is less than ideal because they really don't have enough information. They're not pulling information from the rest of their team. Yeah, I, I've gotten some statistics from colleagues, and I share this in the talks that I do. When you talk about getting thrown into a leadership role, the, the average age that a person is promoted to manager in the U.S. is 31 and the average age when that manager actually gets their first manager training is 42. So they're out there for a decade basically screwing things up, but with you know, flying blind. And to your point, they, they rely on the 
the techniques that they learned from other people that led them, which oftentimes are not the best. So when you think about that and, and you talk about, as you mentioned, the I don't know what I don't know syndrome, uh, it leads me to the idea of authenticity. I know that's a topic that people always talk about in leadership. But so talk a little bit about this authenticity in the context of the I don't know what I don't know thing. How, how do leaders convey that authentically without sounding weak, which is what their fear is? Well, first of all, I've used the expression already a couple of times. To me, authenticity means showing up as the best version of myself. doesn't mean walking down the hallway and just telling everybody what's on my mind. You know, if I like them or don't like them, you just say whatever comes to mind. If I show up as the best version of myself, then I am doing what I can to, to allow everyone else to feel that we're in a safe place where people can express ideas creatively. They can build on each other's creativity, share innovative ideas. And if I create a safe space for doing that, uh, my expression that I'm being vulnerable, I'm not actually going to say I'm being vulnerable, but I'll, I tell somebody I don't know something, or I could really use their help, or this is really troubling for me, and I could use somebody to talk to about it, they're going to feel the space to come forward and, and contribute more, to share more of who they are, and to work with me on building the idea and the best path. The problem we run into in, particularly in this day and age with technology is a lot of companies feel that if they've got the best technology or the killer app, that that's all they need. And if they get that out there, the public's going to come and everything else is going to fall into place. And you, there's so many examples out there where the culture isn't what it needs to be. You've seen what happened at Uber. You've seen what happened at uh, WeWork that they have a, a great solution in so many ways that can serve so many people, yet they have things that are crumbling on the inside of the company because of the culture. Yeah. So let's talk a little about culture. And part of culture is the overall engagement of the employees. So how, how do you build a good culture and increase that engagement across an organization, Dean? The, the, the fundamental foundation to me for building a strong culture is developing mutual trust and respect. And that means creating, again, I'll go back to that safe environment. If I create a safe environment, that means people can communicate whatever needs to be communicated without fear of retribution, without uh, fear of, uh, you know, somebody else pushing them out of the way, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's supporting each other and being their best. And if you do that, then that is a way to have people work together, build ideas, and and help drive people, help support everybody in being as honest and open. That mutual trust and respect, let's put it this way, you can spend a lot of time building it. It's one of the key things that we focus on in the program that I do. It's also something that can be undermined in a, in a minute if somebody goes off the rails and, and violates that trust. So building that trust is essential because if you have that trust, then I know that I'm going to be able to come in and have people at least hear what I have to say. And at least I'm, people are going to feel that their voice is being heard. And that increases engagement of the company to a, such a great degree. People don't always have to have it their way. The problem right now is a lot of people don't get heard because they don't have that safe environment I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and trust is something that uh, I talk about in my book. Um, 
you got to create that safe space so that folks can feel comfortable in bringing innovative ideas and, and not get shot down right out of the box. So I totally get that on the trust component. So thank you for that. Dean, for folks who are watching and listening and they want to learn more about you, how they can get the book, how they can work with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, the website is HallettLeadership.com and you can reach me at DCH, my initials DCH, at Hallett Leadership. Well, that was quick and easy. Uh all right. Well, we're just about at the end of this first segment, Dean. And rather than take you down a rabbit hole, I think we're going to take a commercial break right now, and then we'll, we'll pick up in just another minute or so. So for you folks watching and listening, don't go anywhere. Dean, you sit tight. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. I feel bad for kicking your seat on purpose. I'm sorry for mansplaining. That's when a man... I know what it is. We should have just told you it's a boy. <laughs> I wish you didn't have to hear all that. Sorry I called you Karen. That's my name. Sorry your name is Karen. I promise I will not eat any more of your friends. Really? Okay, it might happen one more time. Hi everyone, my name is Milton Corsi. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Iorio. Welcome to Team Talk. Team Talk's all about bringing teams together, bringing organizations together, bringing a diverse group of people together to make the organization a better, more successful organization. Listening to every single voice in the organization to make it better. Yeah, our guests are going to include people from industry, people from sports, and other walks of life. And they're going to talk to us about their specific journeys to team success. Tune in on Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. and then again on Thursday evening at 5 p.m. to watch Milton and I talk about Team Talk. We're looking forward to having you join us. When your family gathers around a shakaroni from Papa John's, you're sharing more than extra cheese and pepperoni. You're sharing scholarships, meals, and laughter because one dollar from every shakaroni goes to charity that's pizza with a purpose where are you when it comes to relationships i'm dr donna marie and this is grace and space we're talking the highs the lows and everything in between when it comes to life and love and relationships join me here grace and space on rvn the compassion healing network we'll see you soon And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about The Missing Piece with the author of that book, The Missing Piece, Dean Hallett. Dean, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. I want to continue where we kind of left off at the break. Um, you work with a lot of top performers, the high performers inside of organizations. In your experience in working with those top performers, have you uncovered any common themes or characteristics? I think the thing that I come across the most is the imposter syndrome. People feel that they're, they're thrust into a new role, they don't know all the ins and outs, and feel like other people that they see in roles like that seem to have all the answers. And in reality, some of the people that are acting like they have all the answers may just be putting forth that perception because they feel that they have to be, appear infallible and that they don't want to show a vulnerability. 
Vulnerability is something that, that people feel is a weakness, when in reality it's a strength. I don't have the exact words, but Brene Brown, the author, she refers to vulnerability as the courage to show up as the best version of yourself, regardless of the outcome. And yeah. if people show up as the best version of themselves, then people are going to want to work with them. Well, we naturally are, are collaborative individuals that work together, but we're, we, we work our way through business and we're, these structures are put around us. And we think about how we are in school. So we're taught to work alone. We're not taught to collaborate, at least not in the early years. We're taught not to look over at the paper, person next to us or look at their paper because that's cheating. And everything's about individual performance. If we're willing to be vulnerable, we'll realize that so many people around us can actually lift. It's like the rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody can be better if we're all sharing ideas and working together. And in the imposter syndrome, what happens is people feel like they don't belong in that role, that they're not worthy of that role. And when that happens, then they could start self-sabotaging. They can start, We in life we tend to have, we form fixed beliefs and those form fixed behaviors. If I have a fixed belief that I'm not worthy of a role, I'm going to manifest behaviors that are going to reinforce that. And so what we want to do is break through to that person. If you think about a young child who is honest and open and vulnerable and creative and courageous, those are the characteristics that we want to be able to bring forward. And when people are vulnerable, that courage shows up, that vulnerability shows up and it allows them to, to be the best version of themselves that probably is better than the people that they're looking at that appear to be perfect, that are really trying to cover some things up. Yeah. So let's, let's unpack that just a little bit because beliefs are just thoughts that you keep thinking, right? So you've got to change the thought track in your head. So sometimes it, it feels, use the term inauthentic, uh, to you know, act as if, fake it till you make it, whatever the terms are, to, to overcome that imposter syndrome. So I think everybody in the audience uh, is or has experienced that. So what's your advice for them on how to actually overcome that? Well, the first thing is to, what, one of the things that we do in our programs is we come up with affirmations. In order to change your belief system, you need to have a different perspective of yourself. So I have a uh, affirmation that I use, which is that I am a powerful, open, compassionate leader. And so if I am bringing that part of me forward, if I'm open and I'm passionate about things, I can actually show up in a different way. So one of it is to change the belief, but then you have to change the habit and that takes time. So that means using that affirmation and it doesn't mean just putting it as a piece of paper on my mirror and looking at it once a day, it means living that, that element of myself. So if I go into a meeting and I find myself withdrawing, because that was my tendency before to withdraw. And uh, I'm, I am a, I refer to myself as a highly functioning introvert. Uh, I would withdraw. But now when I feel that I immediately go to affirm my affirmation, I say, I have something to offer here. I need to show up, and if I have something to express, I need to say it, and say it in the way that it can be received in the best, you know, the best possible chances that it can be heard. So, to when people have the the idea is to create a change in beliefs that is sustainable. That's one of the reasons I love the nine month program that we do because it it those the DNA of people's behavior changes over a nine month period, 
It's not just like going to a weekend workshop, coming back, going into a stressful situation and reverting right back to my old behaviors again. Yeah. If we can throw another image of uh, Dean's book on the screen here, Dean, I'm going to give you another chance to tell the audience how they can connect with you and also tell them how they can go about getting a copy of that book. Sure. Uh, you can connect with me at howatleadership.com. My email, if you want to email me directly, is dch at howatleadership.com. And there's actually a, a, a page right there on the website where you can buy the book directly right there. So easy. Fantastic. Easy peasy. So you talked about this imposter syndrome and the idea that leaders often then will, will fight the fight alone. But smart leaders understand, even the ones who are going through imposter syndrome, that you can't do it alone. You've got to build a team. So let's springboard into the idea of team building. How do you recommend that leaders go about building that team, especially if they're a little uncertain about their own footing? That, you know, that goes back to that, that vulnerability and worthiness. You want to have the best people around you that you possibly can. I think the world is in such a state of disruption now, and the threats are always out there, that no one person can see and hear everything that's coming at them. So the better your team is around you, the better off you're going to be. It starts with hiring. Hi, you know, I think the expression is hire your weakness. Uh, the way I always looked at it was, I want to hire the best person. I don't care if they're better than me. Strategy, business strategy is not my number one strength. So when I would hire somebody to be my head of strategy, I would tell them, don't look to me to drive your strategy. I want you to be the strategist. I want you to come to me and talk about the opportunities that are out there. Don't wait to follow my lead. So I'm willing to be completely open with them. And that gives them, the that empowers them to bring everything forward that they can and to look at every possibility and not worry that I'm going to poo-poo some idea that they have. Yeah. So I mentioned in the uh, the first segment about that statistics about when the average age someone gets promoted to manager and the gap until they get training. I'm going to ask you to talk to those young leaders out there right now who are in that leadership role who may not have gotten management training and may work for somebody that they think is a jerk and only knows, I don't want to be like that guy or that gal. What, what do you say to them, Dean? You know, the first thing that pops to mind, and it sounds, it sounds self-serving, but it's, it's not about how leadership in our coaching. Find a coach, find a mentor. Look at the best professional athletes in the world. They all have coaches. They all have blind spots where somebody around them will see things through a different lens and can provide input to them in order for them to be better. So find someone that you trust that you can reach out to that will be honest with you enough to give you valuable feedback in how you can elevate your game. That's, that's probably the best advice I can give anybody. It's be willing to be open with someone and, and share because otherwise the, people can fall into that same trap of feeling like every moment of every day they have to appear perfect. And that is just not sustainable. We're humans. We make mistakes. And look how many times you read now about people making mistakes being a launch pad for future success. They're all learning opportunities. And so I'm not saying don't make mistakes, but use a coach to help you navigate your way through the minefield that, that's out there all the time because you're going to be better for it. Yeah, and I might also add, don't make any assumptions. If you've got an employee that uh, is, is not performing up to par, don't assume that they're not capable. Uh, maybe just ask a question as to what's going on. They may have something going on in their personal life that's actually impacting them, and you've got an opportunity to really demonstrate some real leadership there and changing their world. So, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because it's really important that we not make assumptions in general because when we're not communicating, I mean, open communication is so important because when we're not, we are making assumptions that are probably not true and filling out our own narrative. And suddenly we have a narrative that isn't even reflecting what's happening. It's just our own version of reality. Yeah, exactly. And you know what they say about when you assume. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so Dean, we, we've all been living in this, um, th this pandemic environment where you know, doing Zoom meetings is the new norm and personal interaction is uh, minimal at, at best. H how has the pandemic and this idea of remote leadership impacted what you do? And what, what can you talk uh, to the audience about in terms of how they can be more effective in a remote world? Well, I think it's affected me both positively and negatively. When I was, uh, prior to the pandemic, most of my clients were local here in the Los Angeles area, and not that many people were comfortable with Zoom and video conferencing. And when that became more of the norm, it really opened up opportunities for me, uh, at least across the country, and even in some cases internationally, to be able to be effective in the services that I bring. Uh, negative, the negative side of it is, if there's a there's enough walls, artificial walls that we put between us, and we, when we put a screen between us, the ability to be authentic. Right? I'm looking at this screen right now, uh, you know, and I'm looking at you, but I'm not. It's not really eye to eye contact because I've got a camera up here that's at a slightly different angle, so that connection's not quite the same. So we have to work harder, I think, to build that trust to build that respect with each other and to build that human connection that's so important in everything that we do. Uh, so that's what I would, I mean, I've had people, I've, I've taught class at universities and people will tell me about the Zoom extroverts. Find your way, I don't mean, you know, be aggressive about it, but find a way to communicate what you have to say. There's enough downtime in Zoom calls for you to express your ideas, to share your ideas and to connect with someone. Make it a point to do that. There are, there are too many people that say, well, you know, everybody else was talking, so I didn't really have a chance. And if you're a good leader, find ways to create those moments for your teams. Half of the great ideas in your company are sitting in the minds of the introverts, and it's your job to get them to speak up. Otherwise, you're missing out on those ideas. Yeah, great point. And a good leader is going to make sure he calls out or she calls out everybody uh, to get their feedback. Uh, Dean, we've only got a few minutes to go here, but I want to ask you one more thing because I think it's kind of an underlying theme in all that we talk about here, and I'm talking about mindset. If you're not going into your day-to-day -day role, whatever that may be, in the right frame of mind, you're not going to be able to deliver. So talk a little bit about mindset and how that affects leadership. Well, to me, it's the, the mindset... For me, it goes back to the affirmation that I spoke about earlier. My mindset is to be essentially the most effective, empowering leader that I can be. And so every day, every encounter I go into, I'm always looking to see what is the best, how can I show up as the best version of myself? And I'll explain that in one second in order to get people to show up and contribute. So that mindset for me is, in the moment, trusting my instincts, trusting emotional intelligence, we call it. Do I need to be more assertive? Do I need to be more supportive and really care for somebody that, that maybe have something else going on? Do I need to push somebody a little harder? And I have to trust my instincts on that. So it's really about having the mindset that I can flex 
my style, still be authentic, still who I am, but I can flex my style in the moment to be the, the, to be in service to the people or the person near me in the most effective way possible. Dean, I think on that note, we've got to call it a day here, unfortunately. Uh, time does fly here. I want to thank you so much for sharing with us today on Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure being with you. Likewise. So we've been talking today with Dean Hallett, president of Hallett Leadership and author of The Missing Piece, a CFO who turned his passion into what he does for a living in terms of leadership. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the person that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. If you'd like to have a conversation with me, please reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And wherever you're watching or listening to this program, please do hit the subscribe button so you can stay in contact with us. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody.